Welcome back to Get Unstuck and On Target. I'm Mike O'Neill with Bench Builders. And whether we're working with supervisors to improve their people skills, or it's me coaching a leader one-on-one, getting leaders and companies unstuck is at the heart of everything that we do. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. Joining me is Craig Warland. Craig is the Chief Operating Officer at Southeast Primary Care Partners. His company is physician-founded and led. I've invited Craig to come on the podcast because we've got leaders listening who have responsibility for making uh, healthcare dollar choices for their employees. And I think what he will share with us will be of, of particular interest when you're looking at the complex world of medicine. Welcome, Craig. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. I'm glad to be here. Craig, I know you as a with your current company, but you have um, kind of spent a number of years in healthcare. Um, can you just share a little bit about your background and kind of what led up to your current role? Yeah, no, happy to. So uh, after college, I actually uh, went, did not go into healthcare. I went into the military. Um, I did a, a, a stint in the Marine Corps as an officer, um, loved my time in the military um, and really you know, learned about leadership, leadership in, in complex dynamic situations. Um, leading really diverse teams uh, that come from, from very diverse backgrounds, um, all to be at one point to accomplish, um, you know, one mission. And so this is, uh, it was, it was a great experience for me being in the military. I loved my Marines. I loved being able to serve my Marines. Um, but what got me into healthcare was when we were, uh, when I, uh, we had our first daughter, she had several significant special needs. Um, so I was, uh, uh, kind of thrown into healthcare for the first time as, you know, through the eyes of my daughter, seeing what it looked like being a, a chronic patient, a chronic user of, of healthcare services. Previously, I was your typical kind of, you know, mid twenties male who wouldn't go to the doctor unless they, you know, couldn't make the cut stop bleeding or like the bone was sticking out. Um, and now I was seeing, you know, a, a daily, um, weekly and monthly visits to doctors and, and coordination of care and, and, you know, and really seeing, um, not for the fault of the, the clinical providers, um, but just for the fault of the system, how siloed things are and how inefficient they are and, and the transfer of information being such a poor. So when we made the decision to, to transition out of the military, uh, I, it was, um, really through that experience that I decided I wanted to go into healthcare. Um, and. I've always been very systems oriented individual. I like processes. I like understanding, you know, what what was the the breakdown in the process that created that inefficiency or that mistake, not who's the person to blame there. Um, and and healthcare just seemed like there was a lot of opportunities for improvement. And I felt like if I could spend a career, you know, trying to make those improvements, it would be it would be a, a career well spent. So I, um, after leaving the military, I uh, was, was lucky enough to be hired at a nonprofit community health system in Georgia. Um, they really brought me in, um, as a, as a, what they called an administrative resident. I'm not clinical. I don't, I don't have a clinical background. Um, but I, but they did bring me in to, to bring me into kind of a training program to become an administrator. Um, it was through that experience that I, um, was able to you know, really understand just how complex healthcare is from the provider side. Um, and, and was very fortunate that the, the, the system I was working for was a well-run system, a very profitable system, um, in terms of, um, 
it was able to make the necessary funds to reinvest it back into the community so that they could provide robust services to, to the community they were serving, which was, which was really, really great for me. But what I started to see very quickly was just a fundamental disconnect. And this, I call it just kind of a fundamental tension in healthcare in general, uh, which is you've got providers on one end and I include health systems and individual doctors and groups like ours, groups of single specialty doctors, those the providers are incentivized in, in a fee-for-service way, in a fee-for-service system to do as much as they possibly can to the patient because that's how they make their money. That's how they make their margin. On the opposite side, you have the payer who is oftentimes and rarely um, the patient. Um, so oftentimes uh, it's, you know, it's, it's your typical, your Blue Cross Blue Shield, your Anthem, your Humana, United, um, your employer-sponsored plan. Um, and they're incentivized to try to uh, pay as little as possible to this provider who's incentivized to do as much as, as, as possible. And, and the patient oftentimes gets caught in the middle. So that's where things like per authorizations come in and denials and, and these frustrating surprise billing, these frustrating things that patients experience. Um, and, and I just, I attribute it to a very misaligned um, and tension field filled system. So for me, I got very interested in what's called value-based care. Um, and that's a, a broad buzzword of a term. Uh, but what I mean by that um, specifically is the, uh, healthcare provider, um, being, uh, at risk financially for the outcomes of the patients that they're treating. So, so what it does is it takes this, this payer on this side and the provider on this side, and it starts to align them to where we're all trying to do the right thing and not trying to ration care or reduce or reduce necessary care, but to actually think about what's the long-term implications if I, if I invest more on the front end. So I'll, you know, the, example I use a lot is a patient that may have been recently diagnosed with diabetes. If we invest more, bring them in, teach them how to manage that chronic disease um, and, and bring them into the primary care office to get their A1C measured, to get additional labs completed, to talk to the nutritionist. We have, we've now made that front end investment so that down the line, that patient is not having to go to the emergency room. So we have some patients that go, you know, 30 and 40 times a year. Mm -hmm. um, and, or they're admitted for a hundred days a year. Um, and so what we're, what, what I wanted to do was be part of a system that was, that was trying to, to, um, do preventative medicine on the front end, uh, and avoid costly downstream impact. Um, and it's, it's difficult to do that in a health system where a lot of the margin is made on, um, operating rooms and, and the hospital beds and, um, expenses, imaging procedures, and at no fault of the system, that's just how the financials are set up. Um, and so I, I really wanted to, to make a transition to an independent group that was focused on primary care and focused very much on value-based care. Uh, and that's how I ended up here at, at Southeast Primary Care Partners. We are in the United States. We have listeners literally all over the world. I think at last count, we have listeners who have downloaded these episodes from 50 plus countries. So okay. our conversation is going to be limited with the U.S. healthcare system. But you now have kind of aligned yourself with uh, an organization that that kind of leans into uh, primary care, namely primary care physicians. And I'm, I'm making the assumption is that there are a lot of advantages to embracing what a primary care physician does. Can you walk us through, um, you know, what are the advantages of one, the patient, and maybe to some extent also answer what might be the advantage to the payer, be it the employer, the insurer, to use primary care uh, as a way to bring those two entities maybe more aligned 
for a value-based care approach? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question, Mike. And a couple of points. And one, to your comment on kind of having international listeners, I think it's oftentimes when, when I speak or, or members of our organization speak at, at different events, we show a graph and it shows kind of a, on y-axis here, you've got um, length of life or, or uh, average um, age at death. And then on the x-axis, you've got cost. And so presumably you would think as you move along the x-axis, the, uh, you know, your, your length, of, you're spending more on healthcare. So your length of life goes up. In fact, that's completely untrue. You've, you look at that with the, with other OECD countries and they all kind of skew to the left side, meaning it's lower cost and a higher, um, uh, length of life. And then the U S sits very much as a, as it's just this huge outlier way out here to the right and low on the y-axis. Um, which just shows, hey, we're spending more than anybody else on healthcare. I mean, almost 20% of our GDP is spent on healthcare. That is heard of and and like a Scandinavian country or or um, other well-developed countries, um, but our, we're not getting anything for it. Our length of life is, is, is the bottom third of all of those countries. And so, you know, we, we're not doing anything that other countries haven't already figured out, which is when you prioritize primary care and you enable primary care to also look at things like social determinants and behavioral health and other, other factors that are not directly clinically related or going on inside of, you know, can't measure, um, you know, by, by putting a blood pressure cuff on me, what, do I have food insecurity or transportation insecurity? Um, but when you ask the right questions and when you resource the primary care provider appropriately, that's what takes you, you, the cost back towards the, um, lower side of that graph and ultimately brings the, the outcomes, which are measured, you know, in, um, in this particular instance, by um, uh, longevity uh, further up. So when it comes to primary care, um, traditionally in the U.S. healthcare system, um, well, if you go way back, primary care used to be all there was. Think of the, you know, the country doctor shows up, horse and buggy, goes into your house, delivers babies, takes care of your, your cancer, takes care of, um, you know, your flu. And, and that's, they are the doctor. As, as the healthcare system got more evolved, especially in the U.S., it became more and more specialist and, and, and kind of facility centric, which is where most of the higher reimbursements were. And so by default, the primary care provider became less and less and less important in terms of the financial outcomes of, um, you know, making, making a profit, um, health, healthcare while you're taking care of, of, of people and you're trying to keep them healthy, which is a really, really worthy cause. At the end of the day, it's also a business. Um, and the economics, I don't remember which president was, but said it's the economy stupid, um, same applies in healthcare. And so when the economics are aligned to where you get paid more, you're incentivized to do these surgeries and these expensive sites of care and all of these things, primary care then just becomes the feeder to that. And so what is, what has happened over the last couple of decades is, um, and you talk to most primary care providers, they would, they would echo this, um, that they have kind of become what, what they have said to me personally is feel like I'm a referral factor. Like the only reason I'm here is for a patient to come see me and I'm just supposed to refer to that expensive specialist or to get a patient into the OR or, or where, whatever I can do to, to extract more cost, to go back to that original tension, extract more cost away from, um, away from the payer. So what we're trying to do and what I think, you know, other developed countries have done that, that have lowered costs is they take, they flip that back on his head. And they say, no, 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 primary care should be at the center of all of this. And all of you all, the ORs, the imaging centers, the specialists, you are here as a tool to the primary care provider whose number one goal is to, to increase the quality of care that their patient is, is receiving. 
not feed you because you're going to get reimbursed higher. Um, but if, if this patient needs to go to a cardiologist, great, we're going to send them to a cardiologist, but a cardiologist is aligned with us and isn't overly incentivized to go do a stent when it may or may not be necessary. If it's necessary, absolutely. Let's go do that. And so it, it is really, um, you know, I think for, for some who have, uh, especially in, in other countries that have kind of figured this out already, it's such, it's not rocket science, but it's just taking that the provider who's most concerned about the total patient care and the outcomes for the patient, and then um, putting them back at the center of it instead of being the the kind of the bottom of it and feeding it up. And the last kind of stat I'll, I'll share on that is in most countries, primary care, um, in most countries that have, have figured this out and done it well, primary care is 20 to 30% of the total spend. In the US, it averages somewhere between five and 8%. And so you just see if, if 5% of your dollars spent on the only doctor that is truly concerned about all aspects of your care, um, we have, we've kind of got a misaligned system and a little bit of a, a, a you know, upside down system. Yeah, I know we've had a little bit of kind of a philosophical discussion here about this state of healthcare in the United States, the built-in tensions. Um, we've kind of begun talking about what are the advantages of a primary care physician versus a specialist versus these other things. And what I'm hearing you say is that it's an ecosystem um, mm -hmm. and Southeast Primary Care Partners is a business, admittedly, mm -hmm. where part of your employees are, in fact, primary care physicians. And so let me go to the practicality of this. When you go to med school, they really don't teach you really how to to, to run a medical practice, do they? No, unless you are lucky enough to also do an MBA or something like that. But yes, they, they do not teach you the business side of this. So could you maybe in in terms that I might understand, would you kind of describe the business model? You have physicians who join your organization and I'm making the assumption is that what you have, this is maybe not the right choice of words, but where appropriate kind of backroom functions that can support them but can you walk us through the kind of the business model for your company? Yeah, no, it's uh, absolutely. And I'm happy to, to share this. So for our physicians, um, our, our selling point when you join our group is especially as an independent provider. So we, we focus very heavily on the independent primary care providers, those that have gone and hung their shingle and have continued day in and day out, um, to see patients, treat them well, and run their run their business well. Or they're coming out of school and they don't want to join a health system. They want to join a group that really prioritizes primary care. So when they come in, our pitch is, you know, what we do for you is, is we take care of, to your point, all of the ancillary kind of business functions that need to be taken care of. And we want you just to focus on the patient care. And so, um, and because of the business model where we're taking risk and, and our revenue is generated um, and our profit is generated by actually re um, reducing unnecessary care downstream, we uh, are very incentivized to um, resource these providers with things that traditionally they, they haven't been able to get. So it makes a lot of sense for us to give them an ultrasound and an x-ray and cardiac telemetry devices and um, robust set of labs that they can order either in-house or send out for, for rapid returns. Because they they are very concerned and very focused on making sure that they are doing very comprehensive visits with these patients, understanding everything that's going on with these patients, and then establishing a care plan that prevents that patient from uh, using unnecessary downstream services. And so for them, to your point, it goes back to why they went to medical school, which was to take care of patients and to help patients live healthier, longer, happier lives. 
Um, and with us, they don't have to worry about all that outside stuff, the CPT codes, the, um, you know, the, uh, are we, are we getting reimbursed for this? Are we getting denied for this? That's our problem. We'll figure that out. Um, we just want you to see the patients, do a comprehensive visit with the patient and ultimately be thinking about, you know, where is this patient going to be next year, 10 years or 20 years down the line? Um, not just how can I do as much as possible for this patient in the room just to maximize my reimbursement. Um, which is, which is traditionally what they, what the system has, has had it set up as. You know, in my intro, I described your company as physician founded and physician led. Why it, might that be a differentiator? Yeah. So, and I'm saying this is a non-physician, so fully, uh, full caveat there. Mm -hmm. Um, but Dr. Tom Bat was, was the founder of the original group, um, that, that started our company. He partnered with our, um, He's still chairman of our board. He partnered with our CEO, Eric Lyle, um, who is also not a physician, but together they, they set out to build this, this large group. Um, and it's important for physicians, um, to know that this isn't just a bunch of guys with MBAs or business degrees coming in and trying to, to squeeze profit out of, out of, a uh, you know, a particular part of healthcare. Um, we really are through the leadership of our physicians, um, we have. Um, 20, I can't remember the exact number, but 25 plus of our physicians are actual owners in the company, meaning they have equity and, a, and an ownership stake in the company. Um, in addition to Dr. Bat, who's still the chairman of our board. So knowing that we have physicians who are at the helm leading it really, uh, keeps us oriented on kind of a clinical, um, focus versus just a straight business or profit or bottom line focus, which is, you know, coming out of this again. From my background of wanting to improve healthcare because I saw how much it sucked for my daughter, um, that's that's what I want to stay focused on. That's what I want our, to be our north star. And having those that physician leadership and the buy-in of our physicians is absolutely important for that. Eric, you know my frame of reference is typically that from an HR perspective. When I was leading HR, one of the responsibilities was the overall benefits that are made available to the employees. The biggest chunk of that cost was healthcare, but as a company grows, they have to look at this, not just in the a community, but multiple communities, and it can get complex pretty fast. I was working for a company that was, we ended up being self-insured. So we had to look at this from a business perspective and look, look at cost, but look at quality and, and the like. For a moment, can you describe kind of what are the advantages? Can a employer contract with your company or, or are you working primarily through the payers? So we, today we do not have any employers that are, con that we're contracted directly with, but we are actively seeing that that's been on our road since the company was founded to start to do that in 2024. So we're moving into that today. Um, and we are looking, um, actively to, to find companies that are pretty progressive in their thinking that want good, robust primary care, um, either embedded at the site or local enough where, where patients can come and, and have easy access. And then we want to provide that in an aligned way with the employer, um, which is we're going to see these patients quite a bit, um, especially, um, and let me kind of explain this a little bit. So we, we look at, at the entire patient population and we stratify, no matter where we are, we stratify the patient population because we all know, um, not every patient is equal. If you look at the, the, um, statistics, the top, there's 5% of your patients that account for, I think, 40% of cost. Your top 20% of your patients account for 90% of your cost. So we know we have to treat 
those, those patients that are struggling with chronic diseases, that are struggling with some acute disease, that we have to treat them differently. And it, they can, and, and then the patients that are relatively healthy need to come in for their annual physical, but not much more than that. Um, we don't ask them to do much more than that. So point being from an employer standpoint, you need to align with a primary care provider who treats your population that way, who looks at them just like you do when you're, when you're managing your benefits on a monthly basis. And you're saying, Hey, we had this, you know, this large expense here. We had, um, you know, this thing happened here, you know, those patients as a benefit manager, um, or those employees as a benefit manager that are habitually, you know, some of your top spenders in your company at no fault of their own, but they need a good aligned primary care provider to help them learn how to manage whatever they're struggling with. And so the importance there is, is finding that, um, making sure you're aligned and that if the, uh, you know, if, if that primary care provider does a really good job of managing those patients, they should share some of the savings that they're generating for the company. Just to be frank, you need to align the economics. It's the same thing we're doing on the payer side. Payers have said, if you can reduce cost, we'll give you a percentage of that. Employers should be willing to do that as well. Um, and then, but the flip side is also true. As, a, as, as the provider, if, if we don't reduce the cost and actually cost goes up, we should be on the hook for for um, taking some some of that risk on as well, and it shouldn't all be on the on the organization. So it's it's a nuanced conversation. As you're, to your point, it's community by community. It depends on what resources you have, what your relationships are with the larger network in that community. Um, but it's a it's a conversation that needs to be had, and, and I am obviously biased, but I, I recommend is had with the primary care provider first. Well, I'm acknowledging up front that I have a bias, um, and that is I've had a primary care physician for many many years. Um, I'm happy to say that that physician is a regular listener to this podcast. Yeah. Um, but I have, I've seen the value um, that, that, that this doctor can provide me um, over a, a, a much longer time period. You know, Craig, you've had an interesting background from, from military to working in a large nonprofit system to now as COO of the group that you do. Um, can you reflect on a time when perhaps yourself or a client or something, some got stuck. And when that happened, what did it take to get unstuck? Yeah. You know, I think, I think every time we are, cause we're growing rapidly. We have, um, you know, we, we have tripled in size over the last two years. So went yes. from about 40 primary care providers to, to now well over 150. Um, and so through that growth, inevitably you're having these, these individual conversations with physicians. Some of them have been running their own clinic for 30 years and they have finally decided, you know, it's time to find a partner for whatever reason they, they don't want to partner with the local health system, or they don't want to partner with some of the other players in the market. They want to stay with somebody who's independent. So when they come and talk to us, um, there's always that point that you, you, you hit a, you hit, you hit a sticky point of, Hey, how am I going to handle this situation? Or how am I going to do this situation? Um, and, uh, and you feel like, okay, we're stuck here. We're not going to be able to get this, um, completed. They're not going to be able to join our group. Like we were originally hoping or whatever. And what I found without fail is it's a, let's sit down, let's explain. I'll be very transparent and explain why we're doing this. It's not just to be owners. Here's, here's why we approach whatever the topic is this way. Um, and I'd love to get your perspective on why you, why, why this is so important to you to approach it from a different way. And then let's find that middle ground. And then I always, um, and I, and this is not my saying, um, but if you leave, you know, a negotiation like that, where, where one side is happy, then you failed. You should both have felt, have felt like you gave a little bit up, but you've reached kind of a more common good, which in our case is, is having that provider, having that position 
um, as part of our group, part of the largest group in, in, in our state um, and continuing to help us grow and improve how we're doing clinical care. Greg, when we spoke prior to scheduling this podcast, I learned about that rapid growth of your own organization to, to grow as fast as you have um, presents its a whole new set of challenges. As I step back and look at the clients I've worked with, um, that's a recurring theme. Growth is good, but with growth, oftentimes comes growing pains. Yes. From your vantage point, what might be, if you don't mind sharing, what might be the biggest growing pain that your organization has experienced? Yeah, now I could, there's probably a list of four or five things that could hit out the gate. But I think for us, because of um, our emphasis on really good quality clinical care. Part of the challenge, um, you know, we all now operate all these electronic medical records that were mandated back in the early 2000s and everybody loads them, but part of business now. Um, and when you bring, we grow like we have, and you grow from, you know, sites to 50 plus sites, um, everybody's coming on with a different electronic medical record. Everybody's coming on with their data located in different areas. And so part of our biggest challenge is, is um, getting all of that uh, kind of source together um, so that we can get the insights we need to and be able to, to apply the resources. So we have a team of, of RNs and LPNs and pharmacists and social workers that kind of sit at the, at the quote unquote corporate level, um, but are there to provide uh, resources to the providers um, that are at the clinic site. So, but they need the data to know which patients that they need to reach out to, which patients they need to do medication reconciliation on. Um, we need to be able to see and, and go back to what I said earlier and really stratify out that population so we can tell, hey, Dr. O'Neill, we need you to um, focus on these patients and bring these patients in a little bit more frequently than you're, you're bringing in these patients. Because we see them, you know, when we look at the, the, the historical data, this cohort of patients is in the emergency room far more than the national average or is admitted far more than the national average. And we want to try to bring that down. It's a huge challenge. And it typically takes months to, for us to feel like we've got a good um, uh, access to, uh, seamless data and, and ability to provide good clinical care, um, at the, at kind of the, the macro level, um, so that they can really enjoy the resources that we're providing to them. Excellent. I smiled when you referred to me as Dr. O'Neill. What people may not know is for a weekend, um, I was, um, yeah. I was, yeah, I was managing benefits for a large organization and the American Dental Association asked me to speak. Uh, okay. in Chicago, but they had no way of putting me in the system unless they put a doctor in front of my name. And so for the weekend, I was a doctor. Um, so I think I still have the badge uh, to yeah. prove it. Um, so I was a dentist for a weekend. Um, but, uh, you know, this topic that we're discussing, boy, it is, it's complex. It is broad. But as you step back and kind of reflect on um, our conversation if you reflect on the people who you envision are listening to this podcast, what do you want their takeaways to be? Yeah. You know, I think um, two things. Uh, one is just the importance of primary care. And and admittedly, you know, it's like a, a mechanic telling you the importance of getting your oil changed. I understand it's, it's, it's a little self-serving, um, but it is, you know, I work here and our entire team is part of this organization because they believe that primary care should be um, kind of the foundation of which our health system is built on. Um, and we can point to models all over the world that have done that and done that well. Um, so that that's thing one is, is, you know, if you're a aspiring physician, think about primary care. If you are uh, a benefits manager, think about who are those aligned primary care providers um, in your network, in your communities that you can um, 
access and, and allow your patients to, to access. So, uh, and if you haven't been to a primary care provider in several years, it's time to go get checked. Um, you know, it, it, it is, I can tell you countless stories of, um, where a routine physical has literally saved people's lives because of, of things that were found, things that were uh, discovered that we were able to get in front of, um, uh, before they, before it got worse and almost to a T all of them said, you know, I'm really glad I came in because I almost skipped this. I felt, I felt good. I felt healthy. It was inconvenient, but I'm glad I came in and, and, and maintained that. And you spoke to it yourself with, with having that long-standing relationship. So primary care first, and, and it'd be very focused on that. And the second thing is just this idea of, of creating alignment within the economics of healthcare. Um, CMS, the, the, you know, the federal program that has Medicare, which is the largest, um, you know, funder of, of, of healthcare in the country has said they want hundred percent of their patients, um, to be in a, uh, value-based, uh, reimbursement model by 2030. So they've indicated this is where healthcare is going. Commercial plans always follow where healthcare is going. So think about this idea of, of how do we align, how do we align those incentives? How do we feel like the providers just as incentivized to, to take care of, of, um, the long-term care of the patient and prevent unnecessary downstream costs as we, the payer are, um, and ultimately as the patient wants them to be, um, and, and creating that economic alignment and, and keeping you know, keeping um, it from becoming that that tension-filled tug of war that I think we've experienced the last couple of decades and we've proven just doesn't work very well. Greg, you've opened my eyes to a number of things I haven't thought of. Thank you for just sharing um, your expertise. Um, it's, it was most interesting. If folks want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, um, and, and I still appreciate this conversation. And I, I think what you're doing with the podcast, the leaders you're speaking to, um, it, it is it is something that, we often don't think about, uh, which is everybody is, it feels like you're facing, you're stuck and you're the only one facing this problem. And then I, I hear, hear your podcast and hear some of the people you talk to. No, this is the common thing. And I've learned so much from, from, um, you know, hearing how other individuals have addressed, have addressed their, their stuckness, if you will. Uh, but if people want to reach out to me, uh, we're at, at southeastpcp.com. Um, uh, that's, our website emails are associated there. LinkedIn is a great way to reach out to me. Not a huge social media guide, but, but I do try to follow, um, uh, up on my LinkedIn. Um, and then, uh, you know, please, my, my cell phone is on the website. Welcome people reaching out. Um, I'm always interested to meet people, learn how other people are playing, um, in the healthcare industry and, and what we can do to potentially work together to, to solve for what's a really, really difficult problem, but a, uh, a very, um, worthy problem to try to be solving. Greg, we met via LinkedIn. Um, therefore, uh, we will include the contact information that, that you have okay. shared in the show notes. So if folks are driving down the road, just be assured you can go to the show notes and get all that. Craig, thank you. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate it. I've got a question for our listeners. Are people following you because they have to or because they want to? I I'm a leadership coach. I work with executives, typically men, who have a track record of success behind them, but they're now feeling stuck. They're frustrated because they're finding out that with each level of success that follows the bar, it gets set even higher. And they're discouraged because they've worked so hard. And what worked in the past is no longer working. So my clients, despite all their successes in the past, they're lacking the clarity and the confidence to make the decisions needed to get to that next level. So through coaching, we work together to unravel 
hidden blind spots, challenge limiting beliefs, and establish a strong sense of, of accountability. So if you're feeling stuck and that describes you or someone you know, let's talk. Head over to bench-builders.com to schedule a call. So I'd like to thank you again for joining us. And I hope you have picked up on some quick wins from Craig that will help you get unstuck and on target. 